right, 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter number 4. We've been studying the end. The end is a specific period of time, right? Hey Amen. When you get in the book of Hebrews, it says it over and over and over again. The end, the end, the end. Daniel says, uh, talking about sealing up the prophecy till the end. Time of the end. Verse 9, Daniel 12, 9 says, And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. So it's a specific period of time, which we've showed you is Daniel's 70th week, time of Jacob's trouble. And uh, so everybody out there has got all these YouTube videos trying to time when this end is, and there's a bunch of them think that we're in it. I was dealing with a, a brother in the Lord, <clears throat> Tennessee. We were fellowship talking one day, and he told me he was a mid-trib rapture guy. And I said, well, what starts the tribulation then? He goes, well, you believe the rapture does. I said, exactly. He goes, he goes it sounds like you're a Ruckmanite. I said, 100%. <laughs> Amen. But uh, the thing about it is, is something's got to trip and trigger to put them in that period of time. I believe the pre-trib rapture brings that upon God's calendar. And uh, hold your place right here in 1 Peter and go to Romans 11. I had a friend that uh, he believed the rapture was going to happen by 1991 and then stretch it out in 1993. And I used to tease him to be around 2011, and it still hadn't happened yet. And uh, But as we were talking about that, he was also trying to use a Jewish calendar. And a lot of people doing these prophecies try to use a Jewish calendar. Technically, God put Israel on a shelf, right? And so God puts Israel on a shelf. He pauses their time clock in the 70th week. The 70th week started, he hits pause, <laughs> so to speak. He takes Israel, sets them aside, and then you get uh, Romans 11, verse 20, 25. For I would not, brethren, you should be ignorant of what? This mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. I showed him that. I said, guess what? We're on a Gentile clock. Right. Daniel's 70th week has been put on pause until the time of the Gentiles comes in, then he goes back and what's he say? Then all Israel will be saved. I believe he goes back to the Jewish clock. When's he, where did he pause it at? He paused at Daniel's 7th week. I believe Daniel's 7th week picks right up when God begins to deal with them. When? When he's done with the nations. You understand? When he's done with the Gentiles. Listen, to the period. Of, he got to where he was fed up with Israel and he put them aside. He's going to get to where, all right, I'm done. Gentiles don't want me no more. They don't want my son no more. They don't want the gospel no more. I'm done. And when God gets pushed to that point, that's when the rapture takes place. Then he goes back, now I'm going to deal with that Jew. I understand World War I prepared a land for a Jew. I understand World War II prepared a Jew for the land. I understand that God still in this time period, amen, through the church age, is still working with the Jews, still working with the nations. He's getting it all worked. But Israel as a, as a nation, dealing with corporately as a nation, he's put that whole situation on hold until he's done dealing with the Gentiles. And right now he's putting hooks and jaws and nations and he's drawing them over there to the Middle East. He's getting ready for Armageddon. And when he's getting all them nations ready for Armageddon, guess what he's going to do? He's also getting ready to take care of that Jew. So God's setting the table. Amen. He's getting everything set up. And about the time of the Gentiles, just about over. Amen. You say, what period, what date's that? I don't know. I told you the other day that 2033 is the next set of blood moons, and the last one ends up on uh, October 8th, uh, 2033. And if God has 2,000 years for a church age from 33 AD to 2033, that's his business. If he wants to extend it out beyond that, that's his business. All I know is he's challenged us to study his book and study the timetables. And uh, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for all things to happen. I see events and scriptures, things starting to fulfill themselves. 
we're at the end times as far as the church age goes. And uh, there, then the end is a specific period of time called the time of Jacob's trouble. Back to 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4 is a great book for the Christian, especially when it comes to suffering. And uh, he says uh, in verse 5, Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick, that's the living, and the dead? For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God, or to, according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch on the prayer. And above all things, have charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover a multitude of sins. So uh, he has given you notice way back then when Peter even wrote this book, the end of all things is at hand, to be ready. And that's what we need to be is be ready. Why? You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know when the Lord's going to come back. You don't know how soon you'll be standing before God facing him. We don't know what a day may bring forth. So you know what you do? You live as though God's going to show up at any moment. You conduct your life that is God's watching, and at any moment you could be brought up before God, have to give an account of where you live and what you do and what you say and what you think and what you watch and what you hear and what you read. I mean, God's, God's interested in everything that we're doing. And uh, listen, you need to live your life in the fear of God that it won't catch you in a bar. Won't catch you at the casino. Won't catch you in some cat house. Amen. Won't catch you watching porno on the videos and stuff like that. Why? Because you know that you don't want to live in the flesh because God can come back and you got to face a just and holy God about your sin. I don't want to. I don't want to have to face Him. Amen. Being caught in sin. Amen. Especially being saved and given all the light that I've been given. <laughs> Amen. Amen. The end of all things. Listen, the church age is about to end. It's drawn to a close. Amen. If you look at YouTube and you watch any videos on YouTube, amen, it's got a scale down there. And it tells you the time limit. And that little thing goes across that, that thing, and it comes up and lets you know. And if you touch the screen, it'll tell you. If you got a 15-minute video, it'll tell you 1432. You know what? You know when you see that little thing over the end, you're just about done with the video. Well, in the church age and timeline, everything's just about over to the end of this thing. And then the end comes, Daniel's seventh week. Amen. Let's go to the book of James since we're right there. The book of James. We were talking the other night, Tuesday night on the radio. My uncle asked me, we are talking about the fear of God. Is it right for a Christian to fear? And all these people, well, we're to have... Uh, uh, reverence. Yeah, well, you can have your reverence. I want old-fashioned fear. Reverence won't keep you out of sin. Fear will. Amen. I challenge you to, to get a bottle that's got skull and bones on it and drink out of it. They're letting you know right now it's toxic, poison. It'll kill you, fatal if you put it in your mouth. Right? It gives you all kinds of warnings over it. How, how many people just going to walk up and drink something that's fatal? You know what's going to happen? You know you're going to die. Are you going to drink it? If you knew the consequences of it, you're going to die. You're going to leave it alone. That's why they put up warnings, hazards, right? Caution. Why? Because it's dangerous. It can cost you your life. Well, James chapter 1, he says over here, verse 12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that what? Love him. Sounds like... When it comes to being tempted and the outcome of you turning away from that sin is based upon your love for God. Well, isn't that good? You're offered sin, sin's presented to you, and you're offered sin, and because your love for God, you say, no, thank you. I don't want that because I don't want to sin against Him because I love Him, right? Look at what it says, verse uh, 13. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. You understand? That's an out, you have an outward presentation of sin, right? Something comes by, like you taking a lure and dancing in front of a fish. There's a presentation of sin. There's the temptation. 
but you from within, that fish responds to that temptation, right? Because of the lust that's in that flesh. You'll respond, amen, to sin because of the lust of your flesh. Sin is presented to you. Amen. But your love for God will hold you back and refrain you from sin. The knowledge of righteousness and holiness will refrain you from sin. You have a warning with your conscience. You have a warning with the Holy Ghost. But your flesh says, take it. And your conscience, Holy Ghost says, no, run. Get out of here. You understand? Somebody's trying to warn you. Sin will be presented to you. You don't have to look. You don't have to partake. You don't have to participate in sin just because it's presented to you. But you know what? Sin's presented to people all the time, and they just naturally just reach out and take it. Okay, you took it. Amen? You don't have to. Right? Amen. Amen. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away with his own lust and enticed. What do you think advertisement does? All advertisement, period. I don't care if it comes in the mail, it's on the radio. Amen. You walk into a store, big old sign says sale, sale, sale. They put stuff out on the sidewalks. They put stuff down their driveways. Doesn't mean you got to go in there and buy it. But it's all there to tempt you and draw you in. Right? When, you, when you're watching a football game and they pull up a piece of pizza and they do this and that cheese is just dripping, that steam's everywhere. It's just tempting you to dial the number. <laughs> and then they entice you. You can get two for $10. <laughs> That's enticement. You understand? They're appealing to your lust. Amen. When lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Boy, that's bad. So what's, what's the bottom line of your lust? Sin. Amen. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You see the progression of that thing? Amen. Lust, sin, death. A Christian can sin, but it'll kill him spiritually. Can't get him to lose his salvation, but he can lose his fellowship with God. Right? He can, lose, he can lose fellowship with his church. He can lose fellowship, amen, with his family. He can lose fellowship, amen, and fall out from God. I know Christians that's turned around and sinned and gave up. They've quit. They've quit God. They've quit church. They've quit everything. But they might just enjoy the love of the flesh. It's sad. You try to talk to them today, cold as ice. You can woo them. You can love them. You can draw them. You can, you can plead them with words, amen. They ain't budging. They're in their sin. They're going to enjoy it. I've known preachers that fallen into sin and they fell into sin or dove into sin, however you want to say it. But when they fell into that sin, amen, there's preachers all over the country trying to woo them and draw them back to try to restore them. And those preachers just threw it all away. Men have left their wives, left their home, moved in with other women, living in open sin, threw their church out the window. They care less. You know what the end of that thing is? It's death. They're going to die. They're probably going to die a bad death. I wonder how many people are going to die and go to hell because of that. Something to think about. See, they don't see the end result there. They didn't have, oh, I sinned today. Guess what? No lightning bolt got me. Give it time. Yeah, there you go. Let's go to Ecclesiastes 8. Ecclesiastes chapter number 8. See, this is the problem. Preachers like me get up and warn people about sin. They have fear. They're scared. They shake. They tremble. They sweat. They walk away from sin. They're enticed again. They're drawn back to sin. And guess what happens? They finally yield to sin. And then nothing happens. Lightning don't strike. Then they go back and they sin again. But their conscience is seared more and more and more each time. Listen, a kid will run and hide behind a tree, behind a barn and smoke a cigarette. But then one day he's rolling him up in his sleeve. One day he's standing out in the street corner. One day he's right out in front of his mom and dad. He care less. Why? Because he gets more and more brazen. Sin makes you more and more brazen. And as more people get out there and the more brazen they get in their sin, the more their sin flows downhill. And the more kids participate in sin, the more brazen they are as adults to commit sin. They could care less. Ecclesiastes chapter number 8. Amen. Verse 10. So I saw... The wicked buried, 
who had come and gone from the place of the holy, and they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This is also vanity, because sentence against an evil work is not executed what? Speedily. Therefore, the heart of the sons of man is fully set to do evil. See there? That's what's going on. As long as our country and our leaders, amen, do not execute judgment speedily upon somebody, therefore the hearts of the men, the people that are out there, sit back and say, I can get away with it. I can go ahead and commit this crime. And I can live on death row for 24, 30 years and wind up probably dying on death row, eating three squares a day. And you know what? I can eliminate this guy. And I've been told I come from a monkey, so I don't have to give an account to God. Okay. And they do it. Because we're not obeying the laws of the land like we should. If they found out you killed somebody and within a month you was dead hanging on a tree and buzzards were picking the flesh off your bones as you're hanging downtown and everybody watching you, you know what? They might, they might think twice about that thing. Amen. But our court system's got it so messed up that where we can appeal somebody, uh, they can be go through court and go through trial and sit in jail, and they can have appeal after appeal after appeal after appeal, and it's 25, 30 years before the guy on death row ever finally gets executed. That's, that's corrupt. That's vile. That, that's wrong. And you know what? There's no consequence to sin anymore. Amen. God said kill him, and uh, they don't kill him. They allow people to commit murder today. The government commits murder. They're killing babies left and right. It's legal. And you got people cheering it on, standing up for it. And you know what? That mama goes in there and has her baby murdered, goes on, has uh, a marriage and has a family and goes on. God didn't judge me for that. Really? Well, guess what? You're going to have to face God over that one of these days. And when you face God, amen, I, I'd hate to say where they're going. They can be forgiven. They, they can come to Calvary. They can repent of murder. Amen. They can repent of murdering their own child. But they got to give an account to God. I'm telling you, that's going to be tough. What, what do you think they're going to do when they go to the judgment? Amen. When they go to the judgment and uh, God says, come here. And as they're standing in judgment, up starts walking these children that are now 33-year-old male and females. And they say, Hi. I was your son that you aborted. Well, that's going to be something to think about. Have to face their fetus. No, face their baby, their child that they murdered. Can you imagine that? You know, people think they got by with sin, you know, and uh, they think that God's just kind of good overlooking and said, well, nobody saw me. He might call a goldfish out of a bowl. <laughs> might call in somebody's cat, somebody's dog. Chapter number 10. Is it 10? Yeah. Yeah, chapter 10, verse 20. Curse not the king, no, not in thy thought. Curse not the rich in thy bedchamber. For a bird of the air shall carry the voice. And that which hath wings shall tell the matter. Huh. A lot of people think they're going to sin and get by, and there might be a little bird sitting on a windowsill. Peeping in. <laughs> that which hath wings. Could you imagine God bringing in flies and mosquitoes, butterflies and moss, in to testify against you? Well, nobody saw me do what I did. Come here. And he calls in a gnat. <laughs> a little gnat flies in. thing has wings. He said, now, tell me what you saw. <laughs> Amen. We got no idea, do we? Lord's telling us there's something watching us. And then there's angels that watch. Let's go to Malachi. Malachi. Listen, these people, they don't realize that God's watching and that God, God uh, has something that he's got for them. Verse 16, Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him. For them that feared the Lord and what? Thought upon his name. Listen, God's got people recording this stuff. God's got recorders. 
The books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. Listen, we got no telling how many books are going to be brought into judgment. See, a lot of people don't think about the end of the thing. What's the end? What's the end of the thing? Most people never think it through. Most people never think that what's my sin going to cost me? What's my sin going to cost everybody that's around me? What's my sin going to cost my church, my family, my co-workers, my job, my life? How's it going to affect people? There's people out here partying all the time. They have no idea, amen, what their sin's causing. That person is bottling that brew, amen, they think they're just going to make an honest paycheck by bottling and mixing ingredients and putting it in there, putting it in packages, loading it in, in trucks, sending it to stores, sending it to bars, and a bartender pull up, amen, he'll put a glass in there, fill that brew up, give it to that guy, take the money, he thinks that's all there is to it. Then that man gets drunk, gets, gets stoned, goes out, shoots somebody, kills somebody. They don't think that they're responsible somehow for getting that man drunk. You understand? But they got, listen, you put a bottle to brother's lips, you're in trouble. According to what, Habakkuk 2.15 over there. Well, on the hand, puts a bottle to his brother's lips. You know, I didn't put it there. Well, you, you provided for him. Huh? You, you put, you, Christian, sitting there working at Speedway, putting the booze in a bag. Well, I could, that's why I can't go sell beer. Amen. I couldn't work at Speedway. Well, you need a job. I ain't going to sit there and work at these places and stock shelves, put beer and whiskey and booze and cigarettes and sin on shelves so somebody can come participate in it. Listen, we, got, we have responsibility in our Christian life. We ought to have a conscience about sin. There's people that I know that work at, at uh, places like that. Some guy comes in and says, uh, give me a couple of them porno books. And a Christian over there working puts porno books in there and says, send you on your way. Thanks for the money. I got to earn money. Got no conscience about selling somebody a porno book. Got no problem selling somebody cigarettes. Hey, man, I'm going to go puff on these things. I'm going to get cancer. You understand? I don't want to be a participant in somebody's sins. We don't think about the end of the thing. All we're thinking about is I got to earn a paycheck. I got to earn money. I got to take care of myself. But we have no idea about how our actions are actually going to affect people down the road. Everything that we do puts ripples on the pond. Everything, every, Listen, I have to think about the end of the thing. And at the end of the thing, i got to stand and give an account to God for my actions, for the things that I do, the things that I say, the places I go, the activities I participate, the things I consent to. Man, there's, listen, we're going to stand before God. That's a, that's a tough thing. And somebody's recording all this. See, that's the end. What's the end? Let's go to Proverbs. A man, a man usually don't think. And uh, that's what I'm trying to do, amen, is trying to, trying to think. Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter number 14. That's what the Bible's for. That's what preaching's for. That's what parents are for. Amen, that's what preachers are for. Listen, God gives us warnings left and right to consider the end, consider your actions, consider the results. When a farmer starts growing a crop, what's he thinking about? He's thinking about the harvest, the end, the result. And so, listen, somebody told me about this, about men that grow tobacco in, in Kentucky, is that they work that thing all year long. They, they, they hang the stalks, they do the things, they prepare the crops. I mean, they're constantly prepared to do all that kind of stuff. And a farmer's got to be thinking about when to get out there, when to till the land, when to fertilize, make sure his tractors and everything's ready. Why? Because the end product is to get the crop to a place where they can earn a bottom line, a dollar, a living. And farmers sometimes work all year long to make it all at one month. Amen. They, pl they plan. They plot. Uh, there's a law, a law of the farm. Amen. You don't, you don't cram on the, on the farm. You don't try to plant everything at the 1st of August and harvest everything at the end of the month. And then after, once they get done, once they get done harvesting, they're still working the land. They mow all that stuff down. They turn that stuff over. They spread the fertilizer in it. They get the land and everything prepared for the winter months. Listen, there's, there's so much work that goes into it. And, and a, a person that's doing that has got to plan it all out. Let's look in uh, Proverbs chapter number 14, verse 12. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are what? 
the ways, plural, of death. Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16. Well, am I missing it? Is it 16? 16.25. 16.25. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Listen, God's trying to tell you. Your own way is going to lead you where? Death. To death. Amen. Listen, there's, there's all kinds of people that just died today. And there's multiple ways they died. Amen. And most people, when they die, they're not expecting it. Now, there's some today that's hoping for it. There's some today that's begging for it. Unfortunately, they might be 90 years old, laying in a bed, grasping for breath, and they might say, oh, I just wish this was over. Amen. There may be somebody that fell off a building somewhere and they've got about 20 broken bones. And they're in such bad pain, they may be crying and begging for death. But I'm talking to the average person. They're not looking for death. They're looking for pleasure. They're looking for sin. They're looking for something to get involved in. And they have no idea death's just right around the corner. And death shows up at the most inopportune times. Death has cut down more people in the prime of their life than you can even imagine. They're not even thinking about it. You know how many people die from accidents because they're not thinking? I was talking to Brother Stahl. Brother Stahl had to go in and uh, take a man off a set of scaffold. Wasn't even paying attention. He's pushing his scaffold, and as he's pushing his scaffold, had a wing nut, had a wing nut sticking out there off the edge of the scaffold, and it touched a high power line, and it grounded him, and he was frozen right through that thing. He died, and Bro Stahl had to come in and knock him off of that thing. Amen. I tell you, that's it's pretty rough stuff when you see that stuff. Just a simple little accident. A kid wasn't expecting to die. Amen. People die like that all the time from accidents. People slip, people fall, people touch electrical things, they die. They weren't expecting it. Something comes apart, a piece of machinery hits them, kills them. All kinds of accidents. Objects fall, hit somebody, kills them. It's accidental deaths. But then there's deaths on purpose. Somebody actually shoots somebody, kills somebody because they're mad, they're full of hatred. But people don't know that. Amen. We have no idea if we go over here to Speedway, somebody walks in, amen, and a cop comes up and we get caught in crossfire and get shot. That's an accidental death. You just never know. So why do we need to be prepared for death? Huh? You never know, but then what? You need to be prepared to meet God. You've got to give account to God. And the best thing you need to do is make sure that he's paid the penalty you'll sin. Amen. And that's why it's so important to get people saved and get them born again because we don't know when they're going to die. Amen. You never know when somebody's going to die. People sit back and say, well, you know, I just got to kind of go slow on this person because if I go slow on this person, uh, they'll, if not, I, they'll get offended and I push them away. And listen, you don't know when they're going to die. Right. You have no idea when the people you work with is going to die and check out of this world. You don't know if somebody's going to run a red light and kill them. You don't know if they're going to get electrocuted. You don't know if they're going to get killed. You don't know if they're going to have a heart attack. You don't know if they're going to have a stroke. And you may never, ever have a chance to witness to them. Amen? It's important. When is the day of salvation? Huh? Now. It's not today. It's now. Somebody says, well, I'll go home and repent. You might not make it home. Well, tonight, I'll come back to church tonight. You might not come back to church tonight. You never know. You never know. You never know. That's why now is the important time. People say, well, you're pushing people into decision. I didn't write the scriptures. I didn't tell them when, it, when they needed to get saved. God said, come now and reason. He didn't say, uh, next week, come back, talk to me. He, God didn't say it like that, did he? He said, come now, let us reason. Why? Because man's appointed on the men once to die, and after this is judgment. They're going to face God, and then they've got to go to judgment and talk to him. And then where are they going to spend eternity? Where are they going to be sentenced? Oh, so. Amen? Let's go to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 32. We're just talking about the end. The Bible says a lot about the end. I'm just trying to give you some scriptures to help you make you think about some things. Deuteronomy 32. A fantastic verse right here. 
This is what God's saying about his nation. Verse 28. For they are a nation void of counsel, neither is uh, there any understanding in them. Oh, <laughs> that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end, exclamation point. See, that's what God wants people to do. He wants his men to get out there and his people to get out there and tell people and warn them about their latter end. What's, it, what's it going to come to the end of your life? When's the end of your life going to happen? People don't want to deal with death. People don't want to talk about death. People don't want to talk about the future. All they want to do is live for... Let's go to Luke 16. Luke number 16. Luke chapter number 16. God wants people to understand their latter end. God wants them to understand how it's going to turn out. And without God, it won't turn out very good. Amen? Luke 16, verse 19. And there was a certain man which was clothed with purple and fine linen, fared sumptuous every day. And there was a beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, uh, the, dog came, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried in the angel, by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. You understand? Those men, one looked at the beggar, one was full of sores, one would say, that guy probably ain't got much time to live. The rich man, he fared sumptuous every day, thought he had it all together, was in control of his life. And guess what? He wouldn't even give a thought look at that beggar. You understand? But that man never thought he was going to die. Right? He may have thought, well, maybe somewhere out in the future I might. Look at what the rest of the passage says. Verse 24, And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus, that he may dip, dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. Why did he ask for a drop? I mean, if you're in hell and you're going to burn and all you want is one drop, what's that, what's that trying to tell you about his mentality? He ain't thinking about anything else but right now. See, that's what got him in trouble. All he thought about was right now for the moment. He never thought about the future. He never thought about what was out in front of him 10 minutes or 20 minutes from now. All he wanted was temporary relief of his situation because he did not know how to get out of the situation he was in. And he said, just one drop. Just let him dip the tip of his finger. All I need is one drop. Yeah, but what about the next minute? And the minute after that? And the hour after that? And the hour after that? And the day after that? And the year after that? What are you doing to prepare for the future? See, he never prepared for the future. All he lived for was the moment. <clears throat> See, that reflects his mentality. And the average crowd out here, the average person out here, all they think about is the moment. Right now, I just I got to get high right now. I got to forget my problems right now. I got to get stoned right now. I got to have this moment. I may never have this moment ever come to me again, and I got to participate in this sin. Amen. Well, what about the future? Uh, it don't matter. I'll never have this opportunity, have this experience again. I got to fulfill what my flesh is saying I need. Everybody says I need this moment. I need it. Uh, I see this money. I got to take it. You understand what I'm saying? They don't think about the consequences. All they're thinking about is the moment. Amen. And when a man, all he begins to think about is his belly and serve his belly. And when his flesh cries out, all he knows is to answer that. That's why fasting and praying and giving to God and doing things like that is so important that you learn to tell the flesh no. Amen. Amen. That's what a savings account's all about is to tell the flesh no. <laughs> Amen. Right? We live for the moment. You know, all advertisement, everything, all worlds lift up for this moment. There'll never be no moment like this. You got to participate with us. You got to come on because this is the greatest moment. Well, what if you don't participate? The world gets mad at you. It gets upset because you don't participate with them. Well, I'll just bypass it. How's that? I'll just say no. Oh, man, they can't handle that. 
You understand? You got to come now. You got to spend your money now. You got to come. You got to buy. You got to purchase. You got to do. Well, how about if I just record it, watch it three years down the road? <laughs> they don't like that kind of stuff because it's happening now. They wanted you to live now. Listen, but they don't want to come now when God says come. They don't want to do what God says do. You know how many people are laying in bed today because they want to live their own life? Said, I ain't going to church. I've already heard the Bible. I already know John 3.16. I just lay in bed today. Yeah, well, guess what? You might get a visit. Amen. You might get a visit from somebody you don't want to get a visit from. Amen. Well, I tell you what, I'm, I'm just telling you, they better be careful. Better be careful. See, they're not thinking about their end. They don't think about the end of the thing. And God wants us to think about the end. Amen. Let's go to Genesis chapter number 6. All that guy thought of was the moment. All he thought of was the moment. And that's what preachers are to do, is to think. My wife works with a financial place, and she sits down and does free financial needs analysis for people. And when she sits down and does a free financial needs analysis, she tries to get people to see where they're at financially today. Right? And then she tries to get them to face the facts about their outgo and their income. Most people are in debt today because their outgo is more than their income. Right? And then she tries to get them to face the future. Now, where do you want to be at retirement? Now, how do you plan on getting there? And she tries to help them incorporate a plan and a strategy to try to get somewhere financially in the future. She's trying to make them think ahead. Save for a rainy day. You ever hear that? Lord said, go to an ant thou sluggard, consider. And she prepares for a future event. Right? God's just trying to wake us up and tell us some things. The average person don't ever want to think about that. Genesis chapter number 6, verse uh, 13. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. There's one day God got fed up with everybody. He said, I'm done. It's over. Guess what? It happened. But one man found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and God allowed him to bring his boys and his wives in with him, eight people. The rest of the flesh he wiped out, except those that found favor and grace in God's eyes. The only hope I got is to find favor in God's eyes. How did I find that? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at uh, 1 Peter chapter number 4. 1 Peter chapter number 4. First Peter chapter number four. When I'd go in revivals and preach, this is one of the main verses that I would pull out and preach. That's why I'm not in revival. <laughs> Amen. I didn't come in to tickle the ears. I made them think about their future. First Peter chapter four, verse seventeen. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them be which obey not the gospel of God? You ever thought about that? Did you ever think about that? What shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel? What does it mean to obey the gospel? To obey the gospel is to exercise faith in the gospel. It's not just saying a sinner's prayers, exercising faith in the gospel, it's you receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior. Right? Isn't that what Romans 10 says over there? What shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel? For if the righteous scarcely be saved, huh, how, do the, how, do the, how does a righteous person scarcely get saved? It's only by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Well, I trust in Jesus Christ, my Savior. Amen. It's by no acts of the flesh or things that I do other than receiving Christ. <laughs> that means I get in. How? Not because of my own skin and anything that I've done. 
It's only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And the substitutionary death atonement, when I trust Him, His righteousness is imputed to me. <laughs> Amen. It's not a point system. We're not keeping score. That's the only way a person can get in. Look at what it says. Verse 19, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit to keeping other souls to Him in well-doing as unto the Creator. You better commit to keeping of your soul to somebody. Right? There's so many people going around there saying, Jesus come into my heart. Have you given him your heart? Have you committed your soul to him? Say, God, I commit myself to thee and, and that you would keep my soul. I'll take your son. I'll give you my soul because the only hope that I had to be saved is you. People don't do that. They don't even think that. First Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, or chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 1. The righteous scarcely be saved. Where shall a sinner and ungodly appear? You ever thought about where an ungodly man's going and spent much time thinking about that? Praise God, raptured out of here. Amen. Look at what it says. Verse 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that what? No, not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Well, I'll tell you what. They're fixing to face flaming, fiery vengeance. They're going to hell. They're going to burn. What? Them that obey not the gospel. Them that know not God. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. The end of them, they're not going to be with the Lord. They're going to be removed from His presence. They're going to face fiery vengeance, the wrath of God. They're going to hell. They're going to burn the end of the soul. The end of your lost loved ones are going to burn forever. Think about that. Think about people you work with, live next to. What's the end of them? Where are they going? Have they obeyed the gospel? Have they put faith in Jesus Christ? Where are they going? What shall their end be? You got somebody you know you love that's never obeyed the gospel? Where are they going? What's their end? Judgment must begin here in the house of God. He said, if I can't get my people to think about it, how can I get the lost to think about it? Amen. I must bring this before their attention and their mind that one day they're all going to stand before God and give an account. They're coming to a place called the end of their life. And their soul will be judged by God and they'll go to a fiery vengeance, amen, and face the wrath of God, punishment forever. You can't get saints to even register, not even a thought. Don't even cross their mind all week till they come to church. That the person they work with is going to be in hell and they haven't told them how to obey the gospel. They're afraid they might get somebody offended and upset. Well, I'm sure he'd really think different once he's burning in hell forever. I bet you he would have wished you would have woke him up Amen. and got him out of a deep sleep. The devil's put so many people in a deep sleep and Christians are afraid. Oh, I might offend him. He's going to burn, man. Yeah. Forever. Right? Oh, golly gee. I can't. I can't. I might lose my job. You more worried about a paycheck or are you worried about where they're going? Amen. Romans 10. Romans 10. I'm telling you, man. The devil don't want nobody to think about this stuff. They don't want preachers preaching this stuff. They don't want us to charge you with this stuff. Preachers today don't want preachers coming in and opening up with that text and shaking their people up about everybody else's eternity and how it's on their responsibility and how there somebody's going to face God in the end. Their end is flaming fire. They're trying to rid me and people like me from warning anybody about that verse. And preachers don't want this at camp meetings. Preachers don't want this stuff. It's going to upset the apple cart. 
Romans 10, verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How shall they call upon him whom they not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? Well, see, you got to be an ordained independent Baptist preacher, which was ordained by, which was ordained by John the Baptist. And you got to have an ordained man of God that's got the unction anointing on him. That's the only way you can get saved. That ain't what it said. Verse 15, how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel priests peace and bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath what? Believed our report. You know what you got to do to believe it. If you believe it, amen, then receive him. Commit to keeping of your soul to him. Receive Jesus Christ. Amen. It's not just acknowledging facts. I was 17 years old, lost and on my way to hell, and I believed that Jesus was the Son of God, but I was not saved. I believed that he died and he's buried and rose again, but I was not saved. I believed that his mama was called Mary, and I believed the church house was a place you would go and hear about the Son of God. I believed there was a coming judgment. I believed in heaven and hell. I believed there was a devil, and I believed devils actually possessed people. I believe the Bible was the Word of God. I would not have disputed you about one bit of that, but I was lost and on the way to hell, but I had all the facts in my head, but I never exercised faith in the gospel by receiving Christ. Listen, you can acknowledge all you want and die and go to hell. I had all the facts in my head. I could have sat back and told, I was told all that stuff by Grandma and Grandpa. I didn't doubt a thing they said. I believed everything they told me. But I never obeyed the gospel by exercising faith in the gospel. That's the ticket. That's what's missing. And men will say, you believe Jesus died, buried, and rose? Okay, then you're saved then. No, you don't acknowledge facts and go to heaven. You receive those facts and you exercise faith in that man that died for you and receive him to be your Lord and your Savior. That's how you escape the flames of hell. That's what it means to obey. Amen. So then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Listen, everybody's got an end coming to them. My end's not to be burned. My end's now to go to face God and be judged for the things that I've done in his body since I've been saved. And then my inheritance will be issued to me and I'll live somehow in some measure in the kingdom. Amen. According to how I live for him since I exercise faith in the gospel. There's a millennial kingdom. And the things that I do in the flesh will be burned up. The things that I do in the spirit... We'll go through the fire, and I'll find out what I got on the other side of the fire. And then I'll find my place in the kingdom. And if it's a king, hallelujah. And if it's a priest, hallelujah. And if I got a shovel dung and ten uh, uh, sheep, amen, praise God, tending sheep and shoveling dung and millenniums a whole lot better than burning in hell. Amen. Amen. <laughs> amen. Well, I tell you what, God's good. I'm glad he's good. I'm glad he saved me. Psalm 73. Psalm 73 and we're done. Not with this study, but with the time that we have. Psalm 73. Listen, people got an end. And that's why it's so important to go to church and live the gospel. I'm not saved by works, but others are saved by my works. And how I live and how I witness is all determines on my effectiveness in their life. <laughs> you want to know why so many people are going to go to hell? It's because they done watched too many Christians live hypocritical lives and live double standards. And they said, I don't want nothing to do with that. Can't help them. Ain't going to do nothing for me. Well, I tell you what, I don't want to be a stomach block to help a man go to, go to hell. Psalm 73, verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, even as such as a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish, and when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, there's no, but their strength is firm. They are not troubled as other men are, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore their pride compasses Therefore pride compasses them about as a chain, violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, they have more than heart can wish. They are corrupt, they speak wickedly concerning oppression, 
They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, their tongue uh, walketh through the earth. Therefore, his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world, who, and they increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. You see what he just said? He said, I've been watching the wicked and I've been living for God and it's just been a waste of my time. He said, I'm doing right and I'm suffering. They're doing wrong and they're getting, they're getting blessed by it. He said, you know what? I've done, I've done cleansed my hands in vain. I've, I've cleansed my heart. Listen, it's been foolish to become a Christian and live for God. Why? Because look at, they're prospering. I'm not. I'm a child of God and they got it all. I ain't got nothing. So I quit. You know what? There's people to quit. Right? Verse 14, all the day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. And if I say I speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. And when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. See, that's why it's so important to go to church. Because if you just look at circumstances in your life and you look at circumstances in wicked people's lives, you may come to the same conclusion, this guy is vain to live for God. And it may be too painful for you to think about. You're saying, I'm sacrificing, I'm living for God, I'm going to church, and I'm suffering, my car breaks down, my house breaks down, my marriage breaks up, all these different things, my kids go astray. Why should I live for God? These people, they don't live for God and their kids got everything. They got all the talent. They got all the money. Everything just seems to come to them. They're wicked. They're vile. They're wretched. And they just seem to be blessed every hand. And I'm serving for God, living for God, doing right. And I struggle and I struggle and I struggle. Preacher, I'm fed up with it. Then I went to the sanctuary. went to the house of God. And a man opened up the Word of God and began to preach. And he goes, hmm, guess what? <laughs> uh, in the end, they're getting it, ain't they? In the end, they lose everything. In the end, they lose their soul. In the end, they go to hell and they burn forever. And so anything that these people have on earth right now, any moment of pleasure they have yep. is all the heaven they'll ever have. Yep. And all the problems and struggles and trials I have in this life is all the hell I'll ever have. See, I, I didn't learn that until I got in the book. I didn't learn that until I went to the house of God and heard preaching. I didn't learn that until I got to know the Holy Ghost and He opened up the Word of God and showed me, Son, Son, this is all the hell you'll ever have in life. Whew, praise God. Why? Because then I understood the end. This ain't it. You understand? <laughs> Why? How did I learn that? I learned it through the book. I learned it when I went to the sanctuary. When I heard old time preaching, changed my life, turned me around. I didn't, I didn't know all this stuff until I come to church. And I heard an old man of God preach and I got saved. Amen. It made a difference. I understood my end. I understand their end when I went to the house of God and found it all out. Brother Caleb, would you pray for us?